Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again! And guess who? Mike Thomas! Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Hey y'all, who dat? Welcome in. I am Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. And this is going to be the first kind of full-blown off-season podcast, right? This is going to be, you know, you could argue the one on Monday was an off-season podcast technically, but at the end of the day, we didn't really talk about so much off-season stuff as we talked about the game. So it's going to be the first podcast that, that I'm not really talking about a game, talking about practice. No, not practice. Uh, we're talking about coaches. We're talking about decisions. We're talking about off-season ideals, right? And, and we're going to get into that. And uh, I'm going to go solo today. Steve Geller is dealing with some stuff. I don't need to get into it, but he is not here. You are stuck with me. And we'll be going for about 45 to 50 minutes, whatever, on a, on a handful of subjects. The first is, you know, one that I've been arguing with people about over the last couple of days. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I've been saying it over and over again in terms of like, you know, trying to get people ready more than anything else is, you know, the Saints aren't going to fire Dennis Allen. And the question is, are they A, right in that? Like, are they, is that the right move? And we'll talk about some of the stuff that's, that's happened and, and, and where this locker room is and, and all that. And, and you know, how, how does that line up? How does that kind of marry with the idea that there's a lot of teams in the NFL who have moved on from coaches this year? And, and, and why, you know, why do the Saints feel differently than some of these other teams? And so I want to get into that and I want to talk about kind of how I feel about it and, and, and just be realistic about, about what all has actually happened this season. Second segment, I want to talk about some culture stuff. I want to talk about Trevor Penning, you know, because I, I, I have some theories on, on, on what's going on with him and, uh, you know, just that kind of idea. And then uh, the final segment, I want to get into, you know, we, we've, we're, we've established the Saints aren't moving on from Dennis Allen, but there will be changes, right? Like I think we've all kind of understood 
that there's going to be things that are changing, whether it's personnel, whether it's players, um, in terms of uh, some of those things. And so I want to go through the coaching staff, the assistant coaching staff, and kind of identify who's, you know, who who who's safe, probably, you know, in in all of this. Who is on the on the fence? Who who do you need to really dive into in terms of their work this season, and and whether you want to bring them back. And then who, you know, and there's only, there's one coach that's like, I think there's a deject button right now that, you know, I, I think if they brought him back, it would just be very stunning to me, but we'll get into that. I also want to talk about the evaluation process and, you know, why the Saints take so much longer than everybody else, or at least it seems like they take longer than everybody else, because I know that's another gripe every year we get into it. Oh, why is it taking so long? We're missing out on all the quality candidates and this and that, and, you know, and you know, I, I, at a certain point, it's just finding stuff to complain about. But, you know, like, it, we'll get into this first subject here. Dennis Allen, I know a lot of people don't like him, right? I, I know that there's a lot of fans out there that, you know, say, I'm not going to the game as long as he's the head coach. And, and you know, that's your prerogative. Do what you want to do. But, I, like, when I look at it, when I look at firing a head coach, which is a pretty big decision. Like, everyone talks about firing the head coach as if it's something that teams should do flippantly. Team should be like, this wasn't good enough, fire him. Start over, start from scratch. And like, you know, that's just not how it works in the NFL. Like, like the t- and the teams that do that, again, like one of the things, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the, in the final segment, but one of the things that drives me nuts is when people say, well, this team did this and this team did that, so why, and why do the Saints operate differently? And it's like, when you, when you make that argument, Look at the teams you're comparing the Saints to and asking why the Saints aren't more like this team. And if if that team is the Panthers, right? <laughs> you know, like like if you're looking at a team like the Panthers and saying, oh man, they seem to be so quick about making these decisions and that's what I want to see. I mean, th- like the, the team's bad for a reason, right? Like look at the Jaguars, right? Like there's another team that fired a coach one, like in the first year. It's like, yeah, this is a team that's perennially terrible and has been proven to make mistakes in that situation. Like whether it's hiring the wrong guy or whether it's firing a guy before he has a chance to actually do anything, like that's not a positive trait. And so like you look at the Saints front office and they are loyal to people probably to a fault. But I think coaches prefer that. First of all, if you're a coach and you're in that situation, like that's where you want to be. You want to be with a team that's not going to, you know, like like this, the Panthers, when you're, they do these head coaching interviews, they're going to be like, you fired Frank Reich in week 10. Why would I sign on to come here to do this job? If things don't go perfectly in year one, are you going to fire me 10 weeks into the season? Because I'm not re- like, like I have a family, like I have a job now. I'm, I'm leaving that job to come here to be a head coach. I, I have to have some commitment here. Like, I need someone to understand that this is not a decision I'm making lightly, so I don't think you should be making these decisions lightly. So that's the first thing, is, is I don't think that as, a, as an organization that wants to be respected, you set the stage that, okay, we're just going to fire our head coach because of the emotion around it, uh, because it didn't go exactly as we had, as we had planned for it to go. And, and so, so you start there, and you look at, okay, what actually happened this season right you started 2-0 for the first time in a decade you you hit a rough patch around the middle of the season there's reports of some splintering right uh, jeff duncan at nola.com has a as a, co- a column out report out whatever you want to call it today where he talks about some of the issues that had cropped up throughout the course of the season the funniest one that i can confirm is that throughout the course of the year 
more and more players started parking in the like public lot. And I only know this because that's where we park as media members. And I thought it was strange. And I think it is an interesting identification of like, you know, that's just a, it's just a little, a little sign of things. Not, not a very, not a particularly tight ship being run of like, you can't even get them to park in the right place. And it got worse as the season went on by the end of the year. If you drove by the media parking lot, there were just cars parked anywhere. I personally, like, I personally had to park in handicap spots multiple times because even like the spots that you could create in like the areas that you, you would be in and not blocking people were, were taken. Those were already done. It's like, so I'm like, I got to get in there. Where do I, I can't, they can't park on the side of the road. I like, I can't park all the way at the Nola gold lot. Those are fenced off. So like my only option is to park on a handicap spot. I don't like doing that. That's weird. But it's like, that was the only option I had. And, and I do think that's a really, it's funny because it's like, yeah, like you can't even get people to park in the right spot. (laughs) So something's weird going on. And I I think that, that you look at that and you say, okay, there's issues, there's culture things. Uh, I want to talk about that more in the second segment, but are they fixable? Are they things that you can, look at and negotiate and figure out and, and, and find a way to move forward. And clearly it, it, it is, right? Because like you can look at it and say, well, you know, the, these wins at the end of the season don't mean anything. But that's, that's pure confirmation bias. That's you deciding they weren't going to mean anything before the games are even played. Because I don't think you look at any coach in NFL history that goes into year two, wins four of their final five games, the final two being blowouts, which 23-13 isn't a huge blowout, but it's still a double-digit win, right? So I consider that in that category of like, yeah, they scored a couple touchdowns. Like, it was a blowout. With blowout wins over your final two division opponents, including a 48-17 beatdown of a team that his head coach is, is coaching for his job. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, never mind. It, it sucked. It was, all, it was all bad. There's no redeeming qualities whatsoever. It's just not how a team is going to operate. And so when you're the Saints, you're looking at it that way. You're saying... This wasn't good enough. This wasn't what we needed it to be. But we feel like it's not a teardown because we're, we're so far down this path that in order for us to tear it down, it would mean that we don't believe there's any chance that you come back and you play like you did at the end of the year. And I don't think that's reasonable. I think that there is a... Like, because look at the players you had on the field at the end of the year. You didn't have Alvin Kamara. You didn't have Marshawn Lattimore. You didn't have Michael Thomas. You had a bunch of young players who got better, and they're the players you're encouraged by. Are you looking at that and saying, well, yeah, we were better off pulling the rug out from under all these players and starting from scratch, or are we better off seeing what happens in year three? And I think that when you go back and you look at a lot of head coaching tenures and you look at how teams operate, it's in most cases a three-year cycle. It's rare to find a head coach that didn't at least get into year three. So a lot of times you get fired in year three, but in most cases you'll get into year three. So in order for something to, in order for these tenures to end early, it has to completely go off the rails. And and you know there might have been some some like logs over the track or how, whatever analogy you want to use. This season didn't go off the rails. It could have. Right? Like that, that's the thing. It's like the results matter, context matters. And that's why I've been saying the same thing all season. If you want to complain to me about something, you can complain to me about a lot of things, but you cannot tell me that I have been inconsistent. I've been telling you the same thing all season long is context, details, results matter. If you're going to look at this and say, it doesn't matter what happened, they went nine and eight, they probably should have been 10 and seven. That second half against the Packers is the difference between being 10 and seven and making the playoffs and nine and eight and missing the postseason. That's the difference. 
between those two records. And so if you're looking at that and saying it doesn't matter, nothing that could have happened over the final month plus of the season is going to impact anything, you're kidding yourself. Like, and all I'm asking is to be realistic. You know, I'm I, like, I'll, I'll listen to you. I'll, I'll take your complaints and I'll, and I'll respond to you. But like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's realistic to think that a team that went seven and 10 under year one and head coach changed quarterbacks went nine and eight in year two and played really well down the stretch, beat division opponents, beat the teams that you're going to have to beat next year to make the playoffs because the easiest way to make the playoffs is by winning your division. And the NFC South isn't exactly looking like a division that's going to, that's going to take a huge leap. Like what indication do you have that this division is going to be any more difficult to win next year than it was this year? You don't have one, right? Like the Bucks, like they, they overachieved this year, but where are they getting better? The Panthers, I don't know. A lot of people think Bryce Young is a bust already. Does it get better? Maybe. But I don't know. You know, the, the Falcons, who the hell knows? But, you know, and, and just to get back to the three-year cycles thing. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the, the complaints I've heard is, well, all of these teams are moving on from, from their head coaches, and why not us? All these teams with winning coaches are moving on, and why not us? And so let's just go through some of them, right? So you have uh, Josh McDaniels is one of the rare examples of a coach that doesn't get to year three. Right. And, you know, I think the, the locker room kind of revolted on him. And I mean, it's the way that this season could have gone for the Saints. Right. Like, the, the, like, again, if these players didn't want their coach to be around, if they wanted a cycle change, they could have caused it. Like, again, that's my thing is like you people are going to pretend that this team was not invested at all, yet somehow went out and won their final two games by a margin of 71 to 30. That's not what happens. They were able to get this team to lock back in when it seemed like things were going poorly, right? They challenged a few. You, you look at guys like Jawan Johnson and say, we need you to be better, and he delivers, right? Like you look at Derek Carr and say, hey, we need you to really finish strong here, and he delivers. And, and you feel like there's there's something to be said there. Chris Olave, you, you need him to lock in over the second half of the season, and he does, right? You know, the offensive line figures it out. You know, and, and so like that's... I, I, I don't know what to tell you other than that's how it works. Um, but yeah, so Josh McDaniels was fired. It's a unique situation, I think, um, in the scope of, yeah, yeah this, this, the, the first year was the Derek Carr debacle and all of the things that happened there. You brought in Jimmy Garoppolo and it was an unmitigated disaster and you move on. The Raiders have always had a kind of a short fuse on their coaching staff. And so I'm not modeling myself after the Raiders. The other one that did not make it through his second, you know, his second season was Frank Reich. Again, I'm not modeling my, my team after the Panthers, so I'm not looking at them. You look at some of these other coaches. Brandon Staley. You know, we talked about the three-year cycles thing. Brandon Staley, year three, right? He went 9-8 and eight in year one, and everyone's like, eh. They went 10-7 and seven in year two. They made the playoffs. They lost in the wild card game. A lot of people said, you know, and they blew, the, and they blew that big lead to the, to the Jags. A lot of people said, fire them now, fire them now. But again, it's un- uncommon for teams to do that, right? Like you it, – it, they're not going to display that and say, you know what? We made the playoffs. You went 10 and seven. You improved year over year, but yeah, we're going to just shut it down. It wasn't until year three that, you know, the, the Chargers lose a bunch of games. They start five and nine. And then wouldn't you know it, the team basically revolts. They get blown the hell out by, by a score that is unbelievable by the Raiders, a team that had scored zero points the previous week. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And, and with an interim head coach, Antonio Pierce, who apparently they're, you know, I'm sure they're going to try to give a job. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a head coaching job somewhere. But again, that's how you get your coach fired is by playing like that. And the Saints had every opportunity to play like that. So Brandon Steele, again, three years, right? He got his chance and his overall record was 24 and 24. He was a 500 head coach. Now, that's, that's the only kind of comparable example. And it's a guy who did get a third year. Now, you look at some other guys and I, and I hear people talk about Pete Carroll, right? Like, oh, the Seahawks moved on from Pete Carroll. He's a winning head coach, and 9-8 and eight wasn't satisfying for them. And, yeah, I think that's probably your best argument in terms of a 9-8 and eight team moving on from its head coach, even though they were just on the fringe of the playoffs and they missed on a tiebreaker. You know, but, but I do think you're in a very different situation. I really do. You're talking about a 72-year-old man, right? It's not like he's in year two. Not like he's in year three. This is a 72-year-old man who is in his 13th or 14th season as a head coach of the Seahawks. And I think to some extent, the next two guys I talk about are victims of their own success. And Pete Carroll is a victim of his own success where you look at the last three, four years and you say, well, that's not the standard you have set for us. And we feel a little more comfortable uh, making this decision because we know what it could be. We've seen it. 
You know, like he made the the Seahawks made the play the playoffs in five consecutive seasons. They won a Super Bowl from 2012 to 2016. You know, they didn't win any fewer than 10 games in any season from 2012 to 2016. They only won fewer than 10 games once from 2012 to 2020, right? But in the last few seasons, things have gotten weird. You moved on from Russell Wilson. You know, you you fell to 7-10. and 10. It was the first time in Pete Carroll's career with, you know, you fell to 7-10. and 10. You were last in your division, you know, and, and that's going to raise some red flags, right? Last year, you kind of bounced back. You brought in Geno Smith. He kind of resurrected himself, and you signed him to a big deal. You know, you you went you went nine and eight. You made the playoffs this year. I think you were hoping to see them kind of take a step forward, continue taking a step forward. Instead, you kind of regressed a little bit. You did finish nine and eight, but it was not a pretty nine and eight. You finished third in your division in week eighteen. You pretty you know in a game that you really had to win to give yourself a chance at the playoffs. They they barely eked it out against the Cardinals, right? They like a game the Cardinals had no incentive to win. They missed on a makeable field goal by Matt Tra- Matt Prater. So like. Again, you're talking about a team that probably did take a step back. And, and, and I think you look at it and you say this is probably the best, best kind of corollary for why the Saints should have fired Dennis Allen, whereas the Seahawks did fire Pete Carroll or you know, technically transition him to an advisory or whatever you want to call it. But you know, I, I still think that's significantly different. You're talking about a guy in his 13th year, and they have regressed from the peak that was set for them by this head coach. Right. And I think that's a theme is you've regressed. None of these te- guys who got fired saw their team get better year over year. So Pete Carroll is an example. The next one, Bill Belichick, you know, like again, very different situation. Like I'm not even going to put Bill Belichick and Dennis Allen in the same sentence, but I will put Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick in the same sentence. Bill Belichick is 71. I kind of feel like the only reason he's still coaching is to get the, the record, the record for wins. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots feel that way too. And they're like, we're not here just to get you a cut coaching record, guy. We need to see this team figure it out. And since Tom Brady left, they have not done that. In year in, two, in 2020, the year Tom Brady left, they go 7-9. and nine. They're third in the AFC East, right? In 2021, they draft Mac Jones. It feels like, okay, this is kind of the start, the restart of the Patriots. And you go 10-7. and seven. And so that's where, to me, this three-year cycle, again, you look at a three-year cycle of a head coach that got fired, and you tell me what happened in that three-year cycle. And you go 10-7, and seven, your second-year division, you win the wild card, you lose to the Bills in the wild card game. But you feel like you've gotten something figured out. Well, what do you do the next year? You regress. You go 8-9, and nine, you miss the playoffs. People are out there saying, we want Zappy, we want Bailey Zappy, right? Like, this is not going well. You're not playing as well as you need to. But you keep him around. You didn't fire him because you give him a chance. To bounce back. Well, what happens this year? Four and thirteen. You're last in the AFC East. Everything has gotten worse. No one believes in Mac Jones anymore. Bailey Zappi doesn't look like a guy either. So yeah, you were looking at a guy who has gone twelve and twenty-two in his last two seasons, right? Like that's not good enough, you know. And and I think if you want to compare, like again. You can say, well, this is a winning head coach and they fired him. This is a winning head coach whose team has regressed significantly from the peak that you set for them. And Bill Belichick's peak is as high as it can go, right? So, you you know, that regression, it hits hard. You know, and, and again, like, you probably feel differently about a 71-year-old guy than you do about a guy who's kind of just getting started in his head coaching career um, with your team. So, you know, I don't think that's comparable. 
Mike Vrabel is another interesting one. And they, you know, in, in the sense that they've coached roughly around the same number of total seasons. And people want to go back to Dennis Allen with the Raiders in 2012. And you can do that. But when you're talking about it in the context that I am, which is why didn't the Saints fire Dennis Allen? I don't think anything that happened with the Raiders is significant to that conversation in any way. So you look at it, but but you do look at Mike Frabel. And again, I'm going to go back to that three-year cycle that I've been talking about this whole time, right? Because Mike Frabel did have a very good start with the Titans. He didn't have a losing season in any of his first four years. He started nine and seven. They missed the playoffs in 2018. 2019, nine and seven. They're second in the division. They make it to the AFC championship game, right? Like they, they, win, a, they win a playoff game. They, you know... They win a couple playoff games. They get to the AFC Championship game. That's kind of the peak that you're looking at. The next year, 11-5, and five, they win the AFC South. They lose in the wild card round. That's a disappointment. It's not a regression on the overall record, but it is a regression in terms of your playoff finish. So you can't be happy about that. In 2021, again, you take another step forward in record. You go 12-5. and five, You win your division. You know, you lose to the Bengals in the divisional round. And so you're feeling good about it, but like, okay, where are you going from here? Next year, and I think this is where you get into that three-year cycle where you're talking about we've, we've fired our head coach, right? You go from 12 and 5, first in your division. Next year, 7 and 10. You actually finish second in the AFC South, and I think the quality of the AFC South over the last two seasons has had a lot to do with, with, with their feelings around Mike Vrabel because you can look at the NFC South and say, well, the, the Saints are terrible because the division hasn't been good and they haven't been good in it. Well, neither has the AFC South. And so if you're talking about Mike Vrabel as this all-time great head coach, which that's a, kind of the, the tenor that you're talking about him with. You know, 7-10, and 10, second in that very weak division, and, and you miss the playoffs. Year three of the cycle. Like, obviously, this is year six of his, of his as the head coach of the Titans, but year three of this cycle that could end with you getting fired, right? Do they take a step forward? Absolutely not. They take a step back. They go six and 11. The Tannehill thing era kind of feels over. I don't know how you feel about Will Levis in terms of long-term. I like him personally, but I don't know how the Titans feel about him. You Again, you've regressed. You are six and 11. You have gone 13 and 21 over your last two seasons, and you get fired. Again, Every single head coach this year has regressed from the peak that they have set over a multi-year stretch. And, and I think that's when you look at it and you say, we're going to fire this guy. Dennis Allen went 7-10 and 10 in year one. He went 9-8 and eight in year two. The, the guy that I compare him to in terms of this situation, I know this has been long-winded, but I think the question you need to ask yourself is, should the Lions have fired Dan Campbell after year two? Should they have, right? Not, not do you think Dan Campbell is a good coach? Not do you, do you, how do you feel about Dan Campbell right now? Do you like Dan Campbell? That's not my question. My question is when you look at a team that started, that went 313 and one in the first year under a head coach, that included trading your cornerstone franchise quarterback in Matt Stafford to the Rams and that guy immediately going to win a Super Bowl. As you go 313 and one over uh, under a first year head coach, you don't fire him then. Right, I mean, that's not that much different than what Frank Reich did this year. You didn't fire Dan Campbell, right? Jared Goff did not look good in year one, but you stuck with him, and and you and, and that makes sense because you don't fire a head coach after year one. Year two, you know, and this is where you're comparing Dennis Allen and Dan Campbell, right? Year two, you start one and six. The Lions started one and six at that point. Dan Campbell's record as the Lions head coach was four nineteen and one. 4-19-1, right? 
So, so what did they do from that point? So they win eight of their final 11 games, right? They finish nine and eight. They miss the playoffs. No one is out there saying fire the head coach because the context matters. You saw how they finished the season, right? You saw, you know, you saw how things went on the field and the product on the field is what you're, what you're looking at it. And I think if you're the Saints, and, and I get it, you're going to sit there and say, how can you possibly compare Dennis Allen to Dan Campbell? Well, I mean, for one thing, Dan Campbell's record after year two was 12, 21, and one, right? Dennis Allen's record after year two is 16 and 18. Neither is good. But again, you look at it and you say, what did you do from year one to year two? Did you see improvement? Did you see things develop in a way that you can stomach and build on next year? Did you see a team play well down the stretch of the season? Did you see a team quit on the head coach? And I'm sorry, as much as you want to say the team quit on the head coach, 48-17 is not quitting on the head coach. We can talk about, we talked about the Jameis Winston situation so much last time. I don't need to talk about it again, but I think that you look at it and you say, hey, there were members of this roster who were on the ride, but certainly did not have their seatbelts fastened to make sure that they they stayed on it and had the best ride they could. And you're going to know exactly who those people are the second you go upside down and they fall out because that's what happens. I think Jameis was one of those guys. And it's not to say Jameis is a bad teammate or a bad member of the roster. I just, he was not a DA guy. He didn't get signed when DA was here. You kept him around because it cost you more to cut him than it did to keep him. He's not going to be here next year. Right. And I think you're going to look and you're going to say there were a number of players that we feel like we need to move on from. And that's going to be some of the stuff we talk about in the next segment. But like, I just think you got to be realistic. And, and I think the Lions were realistic about Dan Campbell and, and where they were at. And they came and they played week one of the 2023 season like they finished week 18 of the 2022 season. And the results were there. Right. And I think if you're the Saints, you're hoping for the same thing. And you can sit there and tell me, well, that's dumb. I don't think that's right. And, and you certainly, that's your opinion. But I'm not going to, I'm just explaining to you why a team does what it does and how I feel about it. It honestly is irrelevant. I don't necessarily think that Dennis Allen is a good coach. I don't think that he should be the head coach of the Saints. But... My opinion doesn't matter in this. And the fact is, it's the opinion of the coaches and the players and the front office that matters in the end. And I'm just telling you why they're doing what they're doing. And the fact that they have a basis in reality for doing what they're doing. So I'll end you with this. Keep doing what you're doing. All right, that's the end of that segment. We are going to come back. We're going to talk about some culture things. I have some notes on Trevor Penning. I asked Dennis Allen, James Hurst, and I think there's some interesting things that they said in there. So this is Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak coming at you solo today. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. We'll be coming back talking about culture, talking about Trevor Penning, talking about all this good stuff. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.